0: Hey, this is Kathleen Burns, Kingsbury, the host of the Breaking Money Silence podcast. And this week we are doing top staff picks. So I have Carla. She is a virtual assistant who works on my team and she is here to share her top pick. Welcome, Carla.
1: Thanks for having me, Kathleen. It's
0: great to be here. Yeah, I understand that you love the episode Advocate for Yourself and Thrive in Business. And my guest was Margarita Chang. So tell me- what was it about that episode that you love so much? Uh,
1: I found Margarita to be such an inspiration. Uh, her journey encourages women to ask for help when needed and to learn from others. Um, you know, but it also, it's okay for us to be different and to know and own who we are.
0: Yeah. I love that message. And I love interviewing Rita. So let's, Um, play your top pick this week in an encore episode. So thanks, Carla.
1: Thank you. I think it's okay to ask for help. I encourage people to ask for help because just remember, it's not just the help that you're receiving, but you're depriving that person of a blessing, meaning the blessing to pay it forward.
2: Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Now, here is Kathleen.
0: I am here today on the Breaking Money Silence podcast with Margarita Chang. I refer to her as Rita, as a lot of people do. And she is the chief executive officer at Blue Ocean Global Wealth. It's a company that she co-founded. And prior to that, she worked as a financial advisor at Ameriprise and was an analyst and editor at, is it Toa Securities in Tokyo, Japan? And so um, Rita has done so many great things in the field. And I first met her when my book, How to Give Financial Advice to Women, was published. She was nice enough to invite me into her Financial Planning Association meeting to talk about that book and my work. And we became fast friends and have been colleagues ever since. So thank you, Rita, so much for joining the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about all the great things that you have been up to and your journey as a female entrepreneur because I know that every time I hear a story of female entrepreneurship, I learn something not only about the person but also something that I might be able to use in my business or use to mentor uh, the younger women in my life. So Before we get into your latest project, I would love to know a little bit about your professional journey, because I know you have been in the field a long time and you have lots of accolades. But tell me a little bit about your journey going from somebody that was working for somebody else to somebody that said, hey, I want to start my own company.
1: Sure. So I graduated from college with double degrees, a degree in East Asian language and literature and finance. And that skill set actually allowed me to work in Tokyo, Japan, as the editor of a newsletter uh, for English-speaking investors. So in that role, I learned how to communicate. I also had to read financial statements. But I was in my 20s, and I felt that something was missing. I'm very introspective. I felt like I was removed from the clients. Now, I didn't really know about the discipline of personal financial planning then, but I had read so many books in personal finance, and I said to myself, you know, Rita, you're in your 20s. Even though you were like 17 going on 40, who's going to take you seriously about giving them advice for retirement? So like all good things, my time in Japan came to an end and I came back stateside. And I helped my husband pay down student loan debt, secure job, pass the CPA exam. I gave birth to two kids. We bought a house. I was like, you know what? I feel like I've lived life. I feel like I have street credibility. I want to be a planner. Now, that might seem really impulsive, but it wasn't because I took The opportunity to read every book I could on personal finance. I cashed out my maternity leave and I accepted a job at American Express Financial Advisors. And I picked American Express Financial Advisors instead of Merrill or Prudential because I really believed and I still believe today that financial planning transforms lives. I didn't want to just have to get money under management or sell insurance. I felt it was so important to begin with financial planning. And so when I entered the financial advice profession, my son was not even six months old. My daughter was three, and I worked at Ameriprise for about 14 years. And, you know, one would say, hey, Rita, you probably stayed there too long. I think there is some truth to that. But I'm also very careful. I am not risk averse. I'm just risk aware. I knew that I had a family and had responsibilities. So my reason for launching my own firm is I really saw the world was shifting and I really wanted to focus on financial planning. And I didn't want to have the pressure of you know, proprietary products or any bias. And I'm by no means stressing that Ameriprise is a bad place. I learned so much there and I'm so grateful for the opportunity. It's just, I wanted to do things a little bit differently. And so I was inspired by Blue Ocean Strategy and Blue Ocean Shift. So Which is a Um, book,
0: correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So say a little bit about that because I knew it was a book, but I want to make sure everybody knows. And I remember meeting you almost, I didn't realize it at the time, maybe right around the time that you founded this company.
1: That's right. I met you as I was planning the annual symposium for the Financial Planning Associates of the National Capital Area. But basically what a Blue Ocean Strategy is, is you don't necessarily... I should say, not you, KBK, Um, but one doesn't necessarily benchmark their business relative to the competition. They innovate. So we know about the Cola Wars, Pepsi and Coke. Instead of Coke trying to find out what Pepsi is doing or Burger King copying uh, McDonald's, Blue ocean shift means, or blue ocean strategy means you try to do things differently. And what I was doing differently is I felt that instead of asking people how much money they had under management and then seeing if they were worthy to come on board, I really believed that everybody could benefit from financial planning. And instead of saying, no, my minimum is you have to give me a million to invest and I take 1%. Not saying there's anything wrong with that business model, but I felt that there were a lot of answers that people wanted to have. There were a lot of questions that people wanted to have answered that didn't necessarily involve the size of their portfolio. So here's an example. How much life insurance do I need? How much money to put down to buy a house? What's the best way to pay for my kid's college? Gosh, how do I pay for these student loans? Do I save for retirement pre-tax, post-tax? Yes, these do involve assets, but it's not a simple answer. And planning gives people the confidence and the clarity or the clarity and confidence to make the best decisions for themselves and their family.
0: Well, one of the things that I, you know, you're an avid reader. And one of the things that always has impressed me about you is that you have such a commitment to educating yourself but also educating your clients. And it sounds like when you created your own business, you said, I really want to lean into that passion. I've learned a lot over here. I've gathered a lot of experience and knowledge, but I want to do my own thing. And I often think about, you know, when you mention helping your husband pay off his student debt, having two kids, starting your own business, I think, wow, there's two things that come to mind for me. One is you probably had to be pretty organized and have good boundaries to do this. The other is you really probably had to advocate for yourself. And so I'm wondering in the sales profession and and now in the company that you founded, how do you advocate for yourself in business and make sure that you're staying true to you?
1: So this is not easy, especially someone like me. What I mean by that is, you know, I am multiracial and I'm multicultural and I didn't really know about these things growing up because I wasn't exposed. Uh, But to answer your question, I think the most important thing that I learned, and I'm always learning, is not to allow um, people to define success for me. The other thing I learned is I shouldn't compare myself to others. I mean, that I'm being silly here, but it's also true. A lot of people say, hey, you know, Margarita, I don't know a lot of people who are quarter, Chinese quarter, Irish quarter, and they get all the percentages wrong, who's six feet tall. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not six feet tall. I'm really only five foot eight. But I learned that because I am different, it's okay to be different. And because I am different, I can certainly learn from others, but I don't have to compare myself to others because, well, I'm different.
0: What I love about that philosophy is the, first of all, you know, all the different pieces that make up you and all the different ethnicities. And I didn't know till recently that you had this part Irish in you because I identify as Irish, although I have lots of other pieces to my identity as well. And so, you know, I'm wondering if because I walk into a room and what I see is an Asian woman, if that certain assumptions are made about you. And that's why people think you're tall, because they picture an Asian woman, you know, five foot two, not five foot eight?
1: So I think there are certain assumptions and especially as we think about how it pertains to sales culture. So I actually am good at math. I mean, my kids will say that I probably was too much of a tiger mom. I mean, all my kids, they're very good in math. My dad, Wanted me to be good in math because he felt that math isn't for boys, math isn't for girls. You need to know this. Um, Everybody needs to know this. So, coming in, I knew that I was technically smart, but I was led to believe the fact that I asked questions or was a little bit quiet was that I was meek or weak or I lacked um, confidence. Come to find out, these are all, you and I talk about this a lot, these are all really valuable skills being quiet, asking questions, not rushing to judgments, being empathetic compassionate that actually makes me who I am. So I think, you know, I did have to overcome these biases because, you know, I did have a manager, I talk about this a lot, take me aside and tell me that I was actually a lousy planner because I didn't know how to sell. (laughs) And I might want to rethink what I was doing. And, you know, I didn't cry or talk back, but I had a revelation. I'm like, you know what? He's right. And I'm right. We both can be right. And he's 100% right for the type of practice he wants to build and the type of clients he wants to serve. I am lousy. But for the type of relationships I want to have and the type of people I want to serve, I am who I am and I'm going to be the best advisor I possibly can be.
0: I love that authenticity. And I think one of the things that I've seen happen, both with myself as well as when I'm coaching women in business, is that as we learn and grow, if we can step into our authentic self and just own who we are and then develop a business or career that pulls on those strengths, we really do succeed. And it sounds like at some point you realized, wait a second, It isn't that it's right or wrong. It's that this is who I am. And eventually I'm going to create a business that really speaks to that.
1: Absolutely. And I think that, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that it takes a lot of courage and conviction. And there were times where I felt very lonely, but I realized that I also had a lot of people pulling for me, people in the financial planning community. Also my clients, my clients told me, they're like, Rita, It is different with you. When I come to you, I know that you really care. I know you're going to educate me on my options, and I really value that, and that's why I'm working with you.
0: So that thing that was seen as a weakness at the other firm actually is your superpower at your firm now. That's great. Now let's take a short break. I am so excited to tell you about my new online course, Negotiating Your Fees with Confidence. If you are someone who avoids talking about money with your clients at all costs, this online course is for you. You will learn the skills to master your negotiation mindset so you can clearly and confidently communicate your fees to your prospects, your clients, and your colleagues. You will walk away with five steps to become a better negotiator. And at the completion of this online course, you'll have an opportunity to do a one-on-one coaching session with me. So I hope you sign up for negotiating your fees with confidence. Simply go to breakingmoneysilencecom backslash negotiating and sign up today. Let's get back to the episode. So, the, the question I have to kind of broaden it out beyond financial services, because I think one of the things that you have is a perspective of financial services, but you also work with a variety of different people who have different professions. And so I'm curious what you see as some of the mistakes, and let's focus on women right now, that women in business make. Like, What are some of the common mistakes or the biggest mistakes you see the women that either you're a financial planner for, or maybe you're mentoring, or just know in your life?
1: Well, I would say the first mistake I see, and we all make mistakes, is allowing people to define success for them. Well, you should do this, or you'll be successful when. I think that is a mistake that women make, and myself included, like I've made that mistake. The other thing that I think is really important is asking for help. Actually, asking for help is not a sign of weakness. In fact, when you ask for help, the right help, you are giving someone the opportunity to pay it forward. I can also reframe that. If you don't allow that person the opportunity, you're depriving them of a blessing. I can't tell you how happy I am when someone reaches out to me and asks a question and I'm able to help her, I'm talking about women, not only join the financial advice profession, but actually thrive in this profession. It just warms my heart. And so I think it's okay to ask for help. I encourage people to ask for help because just remember, it's not just the help that you're receiving, but you're depriving that person of a blessing, meaning the blessing to pay it forward.
0: I love the reframe on that, that you are getting support for yourself, but you're also giving something to the other person. I do know that for many strong-willed, smart, intelligent women, that somehow the asking for help is really hard and the advocating for self is really hard i think the other thing that i've seen with a lot of my female friends and coaching clients is the belief that uh, it's not okay to manage your stress or you need to you know go 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 because the person next to you is working 60 70 hours what do you think about stress management
1: I think this is really important. And I, and I love being on this podcast and sharing with you. So, I actually have a chronic condition. I have asthma. I've had asthma ever since I was 15, but I have probably actually had it earlier because I had, I developed asthma as a result of childhood complications from pneumonia. So, what I've learned is my daughter told me, she was like, Mommy, you can't pour from an empty cup. I realize that sometimes we derive more benefits if we just pause and rest. And I say that because I know that particularly during COVID, you know, early on, there were times where I probably wasn't getting enough sleep. I don't even know that I was stressed eating. I just felt like I should work, work, work. There were a couple of times where like I had to get up to turn the lights on because the sun went down. So I think that it's really important to make sure that that you, you know, take care of yourself and manage your stress. Sleep is really important, fresh air, because if you take care of yourself, this is very true of women. It's true for everybody, particularly women. We oftentimes put people ahead of us and there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes we need to recognize that it is not selfish to put ourselves first.
0: Absolutely not. So what advice would you have for women, business owners, or career professionals around advocating for themselves and or taking care of themselves in what still is a really male-dominated business world? Rita, I want to learn from your experience and see what tips and tools you have.
1: Well, sure. I know this isn't easy, particularly when you look at the world of finance, but I think that what I'm sharing can be applied really to business in general. So I did share that I have asthma and I don't use it as an excuse, but I recall a situation when I was, when it was earlier in my career and my children were young. I mean, they were, I would say a toddler and a preschooler. And someone said to me, Rita, you are really productive. Imagine how much money you would make if you worked 60 hours. At this point, like I was working like 50, maybe 55 and I didn't talk back, but I did advocate for myself. And I acknowledged what they were saying. I said, You know, you're right. I am really productive. People love it when you say they're right. So that's the takeaway. Even <laughs> you, know, you are right. You're right. I am really productive. Thank you so much. So you affirm what they're saying. You thank him. And then I told them, I said, You know, I am really productive, but I also have to be mindful because if I push myself over the edge, you know, I could get sick. I have asthma. So I don't know that this is the law of diminishing returns. If I push myself closer to 60, I could actually take a step back because if I get sick, you know, I have asthma, it could like flu season is a little bit hard for me. I don't make other people sick and it takes a lot of courage to have that conversation. But I did say that I was like that extra hour a day means I'm actually going to probably get less sleep or less exercise and I need these to stay healthy and productive. And they're like, wow, that was really profound, Rita. I don't know what to say about that. So I think that you can't just go somewhere and complain, but you have to be organized with your thoughts and clearly articulate what it is that you need and want. That way people can support you. So in my case, you know, I was very organized, I mean, when you're a working mom of two little kids, and I made sure that I communicated what I needed to be successful, and I was not taking anything away from anyone else, I was just merely saying what I needed to be successful, and I think that resonates with leaders,
0: the thing that stands out is the idea of complimenting the person who has given you that feedback. It's such an emotionally intelligent response. There was something, uh, uh, I'm just gonna say it cause it's my own podcast. I don't know if you've heard of a shit sandwich, but when <laughs> I was a counselor of adolescents and certainly I've taught this skill as a coach, but counselor of adolescents, I was like, here's how you deliver information. You start with a compliment you put the you know what in the middle, and then you end with a compliment. And so in some ways, that's what you've done. Thank you. You know, you are correct. You are right. And then sharing what's important and what your truth is and what you need to do, and then thanking them again. And so that way of advocating for yourself and using that strategy, I think is, is really key for women and men who want to be able to set some limits and really take care of themselves and advocate for themselves in this you know, crazy world in which we live where people could be busy 24 seven because of all the technology and, and all the demands. Any other tips on how to advocate for yourself or take care of yourself before we tell the audience a little bit about your latest project?
1: I mean, I also think the other thing that I want people to think about is everyone is different some people take care of themselves by being more social and outgoing. Other people take care of themselves by maybe reading or or doing something alone. You need to find what works for you. And don't be shy if it takes you a while to figure that out. You ultimately want to do like what's right for you. And as far as, you know, exercise, it's not just like the cardio, but I feel that uh, after a good sweat, I, I just feel so invigorated and I'm realizing, wow, that problem wasn't that bad after all.
0: Yeah, it does give you perspective. And I think it's really important, like you said, to figure out what works for you. I know for me being outside, being in nature, whether it's skiing during ski season, you know, biking during the summer, kayaking, um, and, and really just, you know, but what works for me may not work for the next person. I know for you, because you love to read, it's probably reading is on some of your stress management lists. But So what I'm walking away with today is the idea that you can be on this journey and you can advocate for yourself and you can look at what does success mean to me and then figure out how to advocate for it, how to take care of yourself and how to communicate in a way where you can be heard but you can also stand in your truth. And so those are such important lessons, Rita, that you're sharing with the audience today.
1: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Anything I can do to, you know, make someone's life easier, I mean, then our time as well spent today.
0: Absolutely. Now, I don't want to end without bragging on you about a chapter in a book that you wrote called Asian Women Who Boss Up. I was so excited to learn that you have been contributing to different books, but this is your latest project because I know how much you support authors being an author that you have supported. So tell the listeners just a little bit about the book and why you decided to participate in this project.
1: So first, my friend Sheena Yap Chan has a podcast called The Tao of Self-Confidence where she invites Asian women to talk about confidence. Maybe some of them are entrepreneurs. And so I've worked with Sheena. um, And then she told me about this book where Asian women would come together and we'd each write a chapter. And I thought, wow, of course, you know, I want to support her because she's my friend's The podcast has over a million downloads. She's won awards. Um, And I thought, well, this is an amazing opportunity for us to all come together. What makes the book so special is it is all Asian women or women like myself who do have a mixed Asian heritage and we share our stories. Come to find out, I didn't realize that this is the first book where Asian women come together. And for that, I am so grateful. It's an amazing opportunity. And it really warms my heart to be there to support, you know, other Asian women. I mean, I like to support women. I like to support authors. For me, it's not shoes or bags. It's books. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, I need to read that book. So I think that, you know, in the beginning, you asked me about stereotypes. You know, growing up, you know, my dad was born in China, came to the US to be Taiwan. My mom is Eastern European and Irish. And there were certain things that my dad taught us. And he's like, you know, you just put your head down and work. Don't question things. And I understand why we did that. And that makes sense then. But I think about, I'm the mom of two girls and a boy. And I don't want my kids just put their heads down you know, I don't want them to be so passive. I want them to be bold and courageous. So that's why I think this book is really important.
0: Well, and I love it. I've started to read it. I, of course, started with your chapter. And I think it's so wonderful uh, to hear these different stories. And, you know, it blows my mind that this is the first time that, you know, 18 Asian women have gotten together to use their voice in this way. But I also think it speaks to where we're headed. And I think it's really important for people to hear different perspectives. And what you're highlighting today is it's not just Asian women, it's all different types of backgrounds of women that come from Asian culture, but they may also like you have a little bit of Irish in them or a little bit of Korean or whatever it might be. And so I really encourage people to check out that book and also to check out the work that you're doing at Blue Ocean. So tell the listeners where they can find out about the book and purchase it. And also what's the best way to contact you?
1: so sure if they can go so right now it's ebook they can go to amazon.com and type asian women who boss up prints will be available but right now it is um e-reader and if people want to reach out to me you can go to blueoceanglobalwealth.com i'm on twitter at GW, or you can find me on LinkedIn, Margarita Chang.
0: I have so enjoyed, yet again, Breaking Money Silence with you. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and telling us about your journey and this new book. I'm really excited uh, for what's next for you.
2: Thank you so much for our time together today